following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9, 1030, or 12 in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. When it comes to rescuing, moms have a certain extra power, especially when they're rescuing their children. I mean, don't get me wrong, as a dad, I'm protective of my kids, and I feel that uh, I feel that about my kids. But when it comes to moms rescuing their children, it's not just an instinct; it is a superpower. This last month, there was a story, and I'm always fascinated by these stories of a mom who rescued her son from danger, and just happened up in the Vancouver area. Uh, back in April, and it was such an extraordinary story of mom power that it actually got global attention. You might have actually heard this story, but what I'd like to do is I want to show you the news coverage of what took place last month with a mom rescuing her son. Check out this video. Mommy was playing in his yard in British Columbia, Canada, when a cougar attacked him. His mom says the cougar started dragging him away, so she jumped on top of the animal. He was on the ground, and the cougar was over him, and it was attached to his arm. And a mom instinct, right? You just, I just leaped on it, and just I tried to pry its mouth open. I'm praying, and three sentences into me praying, it released, and it, it ran away. His back feet were still on the ground, but it like kind of like jumped up and his hands got me. And then when it got a grip on me, it, it jumped on me. And then I fell. It like had so much pressure on me that I fell. And then it attacked me. Thankfully, Zach got close enough to the house where his mom heard his cries from the laundry room. It was kind of tucked up like an egg and I was yelling, mommy, mommy really yell loud as hard as I as loud as I could yell. Let's review. <laughs> Boy is playing in his backyard. A cougar, aka mountain lion, puma if you will, comes into the backyard jumps on top of the little boy. He cries out, well first he goes into an egg position. I guess that's the technical term, egg position if you're being attacked by a puma. And he yells for his mom. His mom runs out with her mom instinct and does, naturally, jumps on top of the cougar. Gets her hands on its jaws and pries the jaws off. I don't know if you heard this. She said, I started praying in about the third sentence of the prayer. And I'm thinking, that's a long prayer if you're on top of a puma, okay? Three whole sentences. So she pries the jaws off of that, uh, the cougar's jaws off of that child, and the, the puma runs away. That right there is mom power. You do not mess with mom power. Can I get an amen? Okay. Us men are nervously like, <laughs> we, we love you and are a little afraid of you. That's why we're clapping right now. Okay, that is the instinct that moms have when it comes to caring 
for their children. When it comes to rescuing a child, there is like a superhuman superpower that moms have to care for their children. You're just wired with that instinct and that power. And here's what I want you to think about today. The Bible says is that men and women are both made in the image of God. So what that means is for us men that you reflect God with your masculinity, with your testosterone, all the things that make you a man, you're reflecting a part of God. But that also means, ladies, you are also reflecting God in your femininity and your motherly, matronly instincts, you're reflecting God. See, we often talk about God as our father. That's how he reveals himself in scripture. He calls himself our heavenly father. But the scripture also talks about his attributes that are very tender and specifically motherly. And those are things, ladies, you reflect about your creator. And I want you to see specifically one of these attributes that is really powerful, not only in our relationship with God, but it's powerful in our relationship to our world. And I want you to see how this plays out in our lives. I want you to open with me to Zechariah chapter 8. Zechariah is a book in the Old Testament that we've been working through. I want you to look at Zechariah chapter 8. It's a prophetic book. Let me just quickly get you caught up. This takes place about 500 years before the time of Christ. It's spoken to a group of people in Jerusalem. They are rebuilding Jerusalem because it was destroyed by the Babylonians. They're rebuilding it. Specifically, Zechariah is telling them to rebuild the temple. That's how the presence of God dwells in the temple, and the presence of God dwells in their city through that temple. And so he's saying, rebuild this temple. Well, for the last 70 years, they've had no temple, and so what they've been doing, because they can't do these ceremonial rituals, what they've been doing is they've been fasting at various, on various months of the year, especially the fifth month of the year, because that's the month that the temple was destroyed, they've been fasting and mourning the fact that there's no temple. So one day they come to Zechariah because the temple is actively being rebuilt right now in this time period in Zechariah. They come to Zechariah and say, hey, should we keep fasting? I mean, that's what we've all done all our lives. Um, should we keep fasting now that the temple is being rebuilt? And God responds to them through Zechariah and addresses their fasting. And what he says is not just, you're like, okay, that seems like a kind of a tiny detail, just a spirit, tiny spiritual detail for that generation. But no, God's response is profound. And he essentially says, let me tell you what I really care about even more than your religious ceremonies. I want you to look in Zechariah 8. We're going to start in verse 3. This is what he says. Thus says the Lord, I have returned to Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and Jerusalem shall be called the faithful city and the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the, mount, the holy mountain. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Now watch these details. Old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with staff in hand because of great age. And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in its streets. God says, I am going to come back to Jerusalem. I am going to dwell again. My presence is going to be again 
among my people in Jerusalem. And then he casts vision for what's going to happen when his presence is there among his people. And where he shifts their attention to is really profound. He doesn't just say, hey, I'm coming back. I'm going to dwell with my people. When you finish this temple, you won't believe how great these worship services are going to be that you're going to have. You won't believe the religious ceremonies and rituals and and how amazing it is. I know most of you in this generation, he says, haven't experienced this because it was destroyed 70 years ago, but you won't believe what happens when you come to worship in the temple when you, for the first time, go to worship in the temple. That's not the vision he casts for them. It's not about their religious activities and ceremonies and services. The vision he casts for them is what will happen in their city. He says, when my presence comes back into Jerusalem, when you finish this temple, I'm dwelling in the midst. You won't believe what's going to happen in your city. And he starts with this detail. He says, old men and old women will be sitting in the streets, enjoying their old age. He says, young children, boys and girls, will be playing in the streets. What is he trying to communicate? In almost any city you can find worldwide and historically, the two most vulnerable populations are the elderly and children. And what he's saying is in this city, when my presence is there, the vulnerable will be thriving. They'll be safe. They'll be alive and well. He's casting vision for their city. Let's keep going. I want you to jump down to verse 9. I wish we were able to read through all parts of Zechariah 8, but we don't have time here. But I want you to see um, another couple sections here. Look at verse 9. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Now watch this phrase. Let your hands be strong. He's going to say that again here in a minute. It's kind of bookend this group of verses. He's going to say it in the beginning and the end. What does he mean? Let your hands be strong. Prepare for work. Like stretching out before you work out or putting on gloves before you do hard labor. He says, get ready for work. Warm up. Get ready. Get your hands strong. Let your hands be strong. You who in these days have been hearing these words from the mouth of the prophets who were present on the day that the foundation of the house of the Lord of hosts was laid, that the temple might be built. Now watch. For before those days, before the days the temple was being rebuilt, before those days there was no wage for man or any wage for beast. Neither was there any safety from the foe for him who went out or came in. For I set every man against his neighbor. In other words, before there was no wage to be had, no jobs. Economy was struggling, was suffering, was hurting. He says, and people weren't safe. Crime was up. Safety was up. There's not safety in the city. Verse 11, but now, things are going to change, but now I will not deal with the remnant of this people as in the former days, declares the Lord of hosts, for there shall be a sowing of, what's that word right there? Peace. There, will be a, there shall be a sowing of, of peace, the vine shall give its fruit, and the ground shall give its produce, and the heavens shall give their due, and I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all these things. And as you have been a byword of cursing among the nations, O house of Judah and house of Jerusalem, so will I save you, and you shall be a blessing. Fear not. Now look, but let your hands be strong. 
God's casting vision. We're seeing what he really cares about. They're saying, hey, help us know what to do with these fasts. And his response is, let me tell you what I really care about. The vulnerable thriving and being taken care of. He says, when my presence is among you, your city's gonna thrive. He says, let me not just cast a vision for your worship services. Let me cast a vision for your city, he says. This is what it looks like to be a faithful city. The vulnerable are thriving. He says, before my presence was here, he says, the economy was suffering. Crime was up. It wasn't safe. He says, but now things are going to change. He says, now I'm, there's going to be a sowing of peace. Man, this is such a beautiful word picture here. The word peace in Hebrew is a word we talk about a lot. The word for peace in Hebrew is shalom. It's one of the most important words in the Old Testament. So important that even today in the Middle East, they still greet each other with the word shalom. The word means more than we can translate in a single English word because it means more than just like stop fighting, like peace. It means more than that. The word shalom means holistic thriving. It means everything is revitalized. It means every aspect of life is operating on, full, on all cylinders. Everything is thriving. And God says, I am going to sow shalom into your city. Not so like S-E-W, so like S-O-W. In other words, he's going to stir up the soil, metaphorically, stir up the soil of the city, till it up, dig trenches, dig holes, and he's going to scatter shalom like seeds. What a beautiful picture. He's going to scatter shalom, sow it into the soil. He's going to fertilize it. He's going to water it. He's going to let shalom grow up in their midst. He's going to let shalom bear shalom fruit that's going to be passed on and on, and it's going to keep reproducing itself. He's going to sow into the city holistic thriving. Powerful. And one of the ways he describes it is, and then there's going to be fruit on the vine. This is more literally. He's saying, and then like, things are going to be, all these things are going to happen in the city. It's going to be thriving, fruit, bearing fruit on the vine. What does God care about? He cares about shalom. Look at this. I want you to jump down to verse 16. Uh, just a couple more verses in this text. I want you to see what does God care about. Here's what it says, verse 16. These are the things that you shall do. Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. He's talking at two levels here. And I want to describe it like this, a, a way that uh, Rebecca, my wife, uh, taught me to look at it from a social worker's perspective. Um, some of you uh, know uh, my wife, Rebecca, beautiful, intelligent mother of three. And I'm not just saying that because it's Mother's Day, okay? Trying to get as many points as I can. In fact, when I say Rebecca, if you could cheer a little bit, that would help me, okay? The more cheering, okay, thank you. All right, that's good. Hopefully somewhere she's hearing that. All right, and so um, my wife, Rebecca, is a, a licensed clinical social worker. And so she, uh, she was going through that as she was going through her undergrad and graduate studies in social work. She taught me that there's really, social work operates in two categories. Looking at the social side of the city operates in two categories. One is the micro level. That's interpersonal, like 
counseling, dealing with someone's trauma or grief. It's dealing with individuals. On the other scale, it's not just the micro level. It's there's a macro level to social work. That looks at the whole community at a macro scale and addresses, works to address the broken systems in the city that are leading to the pain within the individuals. What I want you to see is the Bible is speaking in that verse on those two levels. He says, I want you to speak truth to one another. So I want you to, in your, in your social dealings, this interpersonal dealings, he says, I want you to have integrity with one another. And then he says, and at your gates, render true judgments. If you had a court case, you would go to the gates, that's where the elders of the town or city would be, and you'd go there, that is where a, a trial or an issue would be publicly dealt with. So you're saying when you go to the gates, these are where the judgments from the rulers of the city are passed down. He's saying that's the macro scale. They want justice within the city. On a micro scale, it's the interpersonal issues. Here's the vision for the city that God's talking about. Can you imagine a city where it was the norm to be able to just trust someone else in what they said? When your coworker said something, you don't have to try and figure out do they have like another agenda or what are they working out secretly behind? You have to think, it's not like a chess game. They just, they say something, it is what it is. You believe them. What if that was the norm in a city? What if the norm was when you contracted with a vendor, either personally, or maybe that's what you do for work, you contract with, with uh, vendors, that um, you didn't have to have a contingency plan because they would do what they said when they said they would do it? Imagine that. This is the vision for the cities. Like, as you're interacting with each other, have integrity, have justice, have truth. He's saying on that level, but he's saying also on this macro level, on the large scale, he's saying, I want, this is what I want, a city that has justice in its systems. The educational system has truth and justice. The political system, the legal system, that there is over, overall, there is justice and equality within the systems of the city on this micro scale and macro scale. It's like this. I want you to imagine like a river and downstream from the river is that micro level. It's the social, it's the, it's the interactions with hurting people. But what caused them to be hurting downstream? It's the broken systems upstream. It's the macro systemic issues. God's like, I want you to address both, not just the hurting individuals, but I want the systems to be healthy within the city. This is God saying, this is what I care about. This is what I want. You're asking me about fasting and these, this nuance of this religious practice. Here's what I care about. I care about the hurting, the pain. And I care about the brokenness, the systems the social and the systemic. All right, now watch what he says. He, he's now going to actually address their fasting question, and I want you to see what he says. Verse 18, And the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, The fast of the fourth month, and the fast of the fifth, and the fast of the seventh, and the fast of the tenth, shall be to the house of Judah seasons of joy and gladness and cheerful feasts, 
Therefore, love, truth, and peace. He says, here's what I'm going to do with your fasts. He says, I'm turning your fasts into feasts. Here's why. Because of what I'm going to do in your city. He says, you want to know what I care about? He says, I care about a people that are not just, not only trying to worship me through their practices and their ceremonies and their religious practices, but I, I want a people who are loving me and worshiping me through as they're caring about things in their city, like the vulnerable, that they're thriving. Like the economy and it's thriving. That they care not just about that, they care about the safety in crime. They care about on, this, on the social level, this micro level, that they have in, integrity in their interactions, but on the systemic level, this broader level, that there's justice and, and righteousness in the systems of the city. He's like, that's what I really care about. He's saying, I want you to love truth and peace, shalom. He's saying, love them. It's a command. Love shalom. Love when your city holistically thrives in every category. Love that and get your hands ready to work. Go to work with me, he's saying, to bring about shalom, holistic thriving in your city. I want, you, I want you to see one more thing in this text. This is how he ends this whole section. Look at this, verse 22. Many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days... Ten men from the nations of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of a Jew, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Here is the finale, the crescendo. Here is where he leads. He says, I want this city to thrive, the systems to thrive, the social interactions to thrive. I care that, that there's the brokenness is addressed. I care that the pain is healed. But ultimately, my number one concern is that people are brought back to me, their creator, God says. I care about the social downstream. I care about the systemic upstream, and then the farthest component upstream that he cares about is their spiritual health, which leads to all other aspects. He says, that's what I love. I am, he says, I am looking forward to the day when people from all nations and tongues, he says, will come to my city and say, we heard God is with you. He's saying he wants the city to thrive, the social, the systemic and the spiritual, holistically thrive. Now this tells us something about God. You know, in, in this season, Rebecca and I have a, a newborn, baby Hope is about three weeks old now, and just, you know, my, my, this, our next oldest is four, and then, one, and then our daughter's about to turn six, and so it's been a while since my four-year-old son was an infant, so we're kind of getting back into that infant stage, and I'm just reminded of just so many of the beautiful things of having this helpless little baby. I'm also reminded of how exhausting it is, actually, as well, 
Um, if I just conk out and take a nap here for a little bit, just don't pay no attention, okay? But um, just looking at this tiny little baby and realizing every aspect of this child's life right now is like completely dependent, especially on Rebecca. I mean, now I try and help out and Baby Hope's uh, older sister, Scarlett, she is like helping out. She's like the pacifier police, okay? Like one little cry and Scarlett just appears from nowhere with a pacifier, okay? And just ready with that. And so like we're helping out. It's a whole family endeavor, but really like that little baby is dependent on Rebecca for everything. I mean, the child, I'm reminded, that's right, babies can't even burp for, for themselves. Like we have to teach them to burp, okay? And just stand there. And like every single aspect of the this child and its development and her development is dependent on her mother. And so that I've learned something just not only walking alongside Rebecca, but also having a mother myself, that moms, you are wired to care for every aspect and be concerned about every aspect of your children. In fact, some of you men, you're grown men, and you're going to go visit your mom later today, okay, and you're going to come into the house, and your mom's going to start asking you questions like, are you eating enough? You look a little thin. Are you getting, are you getting, are you, are you getting enough sleep? No, he needs more food. Here, take a bite of this. I'm going to give you a bite of this. How about that person at work? Because I do not like that person at your work. And you're like, mom, I'm 37 years old, okay, like I can, I can handle it, okay. Why? Because moms never stop being concerned about every aspect of their children. Ladies, the fact that you have that instinct is a reflection of your creator. Listen, this is how Jesus describes his relationship with Jerusalem. This is really powerful. This is Jesus, and he's, he's weeping over Jerusalem. It's like a lament. He's talking about the same city that is being talked about in Zechariah 8. Listen to what he says. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. Listen. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing? Do you hear what Jesus is saying? as God in the flesh. He's motherly towards his city. See, I'm like a mother hen wanting to take you as my chicks under my wings. Here's what this is telling us about God. He cares about you. Two things. Here's the first one. He cares about every aspect of your life deeply. It's not just don't have the mentality of God that he's standing back in this cold clinical sovereignty saying, well, I don't know what you're dealing with, but uh, I, and don't bring me those tiny little requests because I don't care. I'm working out this master plan for, for you and everyone else in the world. I got my hands full. That's not what the scripture talks about. He cares about you, every part of you. He gave life to you. He cares that you're eating enough and sleeping enough. And he cares about that person at work. You come to him and say, God, I, I'm hurting about this. He doesn't say, well, wait, wait till you have a big deal and then bring it to me. He's saying, I know, I'm hurting over it more than you are because you're my child. 
In fact, someone once described um, motherhood. It's like, it's like your, your child is like your heart running around outside your body. That's how God feels about you. In fact, the only reason you feel like that is because you're made in his image, ladies. That's how he looks at you. When you run to God, you're running to someone who cares deeply and feels deeply over everything that's happening in your life right now. But that tells us a second thing about God. One of the most important things to any parent is that their children get along, right? Stop talking to each other like that. Be nice to your sister. Don't hit your brother. That's what parents care about. They want their children to get along. Did you notice what, Jesus, what uh, God says here and what Jesus reflected? God is not just saying, I am going to bring about shalom. He's saying, get your hands ready to work. You love truth and shalom. Join in with me. He's saying, you are my children, and some of my other children are hurting, and I'm expecting my kids to care for one another. He's saying, I want you to, to have the same heart towards your city that I have towards your city. He's calling us to mother our city, to care about every single attribute. He's calling us in the same way that he has rescued us and, he, and to join in his rescue mission for the city he's placed us in. And what we've said is, okay, we're not just going to go through a series where we talk about that theoretically, theologically, philosophically, metaphorically. We're going to actually say, okay, what are we going to do? What are we actively going to say? Okay, there are hurting souls. There, there's lives that need to be saved. So what are we going to do in response to this text in this season? Let's get our hands strong, ready to work. What are we actually going to do? And what we've said is, there's so many things in our city that we want to address, but what, where we're going to talk about in this season is one particular crisis in our city. And it involves some of the most vulnerable. And it involves children who actually need parents and a home for a season of their life. Children that are brought, taken out of their homes for safety reasons and brought into the care of a warm, loving foster family. And so what we've, what we've discovered in partnership with some of the foster agencies that we partner with is they've said, look, there's a foster care crisis right now in our community. There are so many children that have been brought out of their homes. We do not have enough foster families here in our city. And so these Christian foster care agencies have sent out a call to the churches of South Florida saying, let's raise up so many foster families out of our churches that when these children... These children are facing their greatest moment of need or trauma. They're brought into a Christian home where they can experience the love of God and the message of Jesus. And so what we did last week is we issued a, an, an all call to our church. And we said, okay, over the next three years, we want to see 25 foster families rise up out of our church over the next three years. But we're not just going to raise up these foster families and say, good luck. No, we're going to surround these foster families with care and support and help. And so we are part of a pilot program with Four Kids of South Florida doing something called FAM, the Family Advocacy Ministry. And what FAM is, is it assigns six to eight uh, families around the foster family to provide support, meals, 
help with anything they can, transportation, maybe help around the house. But that every foster family that raises up, there will be a team of families around that foster family to support them. Now, let me just celebrate something with you. We're, we're going to give that all call again today. But I just want to give you the report of what the response was last week. Over the next three years, we are hoping to see 150 families step up to say, I want to be a part of FAM. I want to support the foster families. We need 150 over the next three years. And last week, 97 people said, get me more information about how I can support foster families. Isn't that incredible? Can we celebrate that today? 97 people said, I'm interested. And I think there's more of you that are here today, either maybe you didn't hear it last week or you've had a chance to pray about it for a week. Maybe you've been uh, watching online, but you live locally. Maybe you're over on our pilot campus. Maybe you're just now hearing this. And today you need to write FAM, F-A-M, on your Get Connected card so that you can say, look, get me. I'm not signing on the dotted line yet, but just give me more information on how I could be a part of supporting those foster families. But let me tell you this other number. We were hoping to raise up out of our church 25 foster families over the next three years. And last week, we had 33 people ask for more interest of becoming a foster family. How incredible is that? 33 homes. And again, I think there's, there's more of you here today that need to get more information because all 33 of those are just saying, look, just get me more information. So here's what I want you to do. Can you go ahead and grab, pull out your uh, bulletin? Would you go ahead and pull this out real quick? Go ahead and grab this. And then what I want you to do is this, this Get Connected card, I just want you to tear it off. Go ahead and tear that off all around the room. Just tear that Get Connected card. I want you to hold on to that. Hold on to that card. And I want to ask you to consider grabbing a pen in front of you and just writing on there either foster family. You can't obviously make that decision on one weekend. You need time to think, pray about it. You need more information. But you're just saying, look, get me a little bit more information. I'm feeling the nudge. I just, that's all I'm saying right now. Get me more information. Maybe you write foster family. Or maybe you say, look, get me more information on how I can be a part of FAM. And so you'd write F-A-M on that Get Connected card. Maybe you take a second, write that on the card, and at the end of the service as you're leaving, you can put that in one of um, the offering boxes around the facility. But I just, as we're uh, about to close, I just want you to hear from some people out of our own church and hear their experiences as to why they got involved with foster care. Check out this video. So I worked with foster care uh, with an agency called Four Kids of South Florida and worked there for about five and a half years. I fell in love with foster care, not only with the children, but really the foster parents really became just my heroes because they put themselves on the front lines every day. Well, what led us to start fostering is kind of just a response to God's word and his command on his people to uh, take care of orphans um, and that's really all it was at the beginning it was just kind of a step of obedience there wasn't anything really noble about it being able to show love and stability and offer a home even if it's just for a couple days for some of these kids or a year or more right when I came out of college uh, I took a job at a, uh, at a foster home in Miami-Dade County and it was extremely scary and, and very hard and there was a lot of moments that that not only did I have to learn, but, but those boys had to learn, like specifically with, uh, with the cooking and dinner. 
<laughs> there was a lot of, hey, I'm sorry guys, uh, moments as we, uh, as I put the burnt rice on the, on the table. <laughs> but because of the kind of program that they were involved in, because of the kind of people they were surrounded with, there was almost like a, a moment of, of healing actually taking place in all of it. When you hear foster care, obviously, you are understanding that you will be caring for children, but also in doing that kind of work, caring for children, then you're also loving a mother, a father, a family group that is going through something tremendously difficult. This whole journey as a foster parent is uh, by no means an individual effort. It is a, it is a large group of people that are very regularly involved with us that are supporting us in all kinds of ways. I think the idea of FAM is great because that wasn't really around when I was working in foster care and while it happened organically with families helping other families out that lived in the same area or went to the same church, that made the difference with families that could go the distance beyond the first placement or not. And what we are is called a care community. We have weekly meals set up, set, meal plans set up for them, and um, any type of odd job. Just the simple act of having, we know on Wednesdays, someone's bringing a meal. Like, that's my favorite day of the week. I don't have to cook or clean up or anything. Fam's got it covered. Um, so it's been a gift for our whole entire family. Mm -hmm. I think one of the neat things about bringing foster kids into a family that has kids already is it starts to shape and train your own children. It's bringing the mission field into your home. Yeah, just explaining how we're adopted into God's family through faith in, in Christ. It gives them kind of a clear picture of what that, what that looks like. You know, we believe that Jesus traded places with us. He was on the cross so that we don't have to. And I think that foster parents trade places with their kids. You take a child in, um, so that, and knowing that you might have to give them up. You provide comfort and stability knowing that your family might get disrupted in the end. Um, and it's a picture of what Jesus did. I think that's what motivates foster parents to sign up for it again and again and again is it's contagious and you interact with the gospel in a way that you otherwise may not have and that becomes a very rewarding and joyful experience. And so it's almost like what the enemy met for destruction, God flipped it to really cause it to become something healing and beautiful. Yeah, we can clap for them. What we talked about last week is that we don't want to be simply a church that says, yes, absolutely, we want to see our community thriving. We want to be a church that says, we are joining in this effort. It's a rescue mission for, for lives that are literally uh, hanging in the balance. They just, they need someone to step in and rescue them. And we want to be a part of that together as a church. And so today, some of you um, need to take that step and write, hey, just get me more information about being a foster parent. Get me more information about FAM. I want to know. I want to know if, if that's something that I can get involved in to be a part of bringing healing to my city. But for some of you, today there's another response that God might be drawing you to make today. I was hearing another story about a woman 
and her husband, they, they had a, a little boy. And right off the bat, when he was an infant, there was a, a lot of health concerns. And they had their, in, the, in and out of the hospital a lot, and by the time he was three or four, they, they knew that he needed a kidney transplant. And the mother found out that she was a match. And so she talks about how she gave her kidney for her child. I mean, that wasn't even like a second thought. Like the moment she found out she was a match was good news. She didn't have to stop and think about, of course, she'd give her kidney. And so what she said was amazing in this interview. She said, I'm just privileged to be able to give life to my son twice. Once I birthed him, I gave him life. And then twice, by my sacrifice, I give him life again. You know, that's your story with your creator. That mother is a reflection of how God handles you. But actually in a far more real way than even that mother was. He, he invented you. He knit you together in your mother's womb is what it says. Your mother carried you, but he designed you. He wove you together. Your mother knows about, about your life, but he's been there every millisecond, every single detail. And he knows that each one of us are heading in a path of destruction because of the sin and mistakes, but he loves us unconditionally. And by his scar, his blood that he shed, by sending Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, he gave you life a second time. He took death for you by his blood so that you could have life forever in eternity. Some of you need to come back to your creator. Return to your creator. He loves you. He loves you unconditionally. He loves you so much that by the great sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, paying for your sins and rising again from the dead, he's given you eternal life. You just can accept that today. And so if that's where you're at and you want to put your faith in Jesus, right here on the Get Connected card, you can just check off the box that says, I put my faith in Jesus. And if that's you, I just want to lead you in a simple prayer. Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? Just all around the room. If you're watching online, just take a second, bow your heads and close your eyes at our pilot campus. Just get in a position of prayer. And if that's you, I want to just lead you in this simple prayer. Just silently in your heart, make this your prayer to God. Say, God, thank you for loving me so much. Thank you for creating me. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross to pay for my sins. I believe you rose again from the dead. And I believe because of that and that alone, I'll spend eternity in heaven. I accept salvation by what Jesus has done. And it's in his name we pray. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954 954- 432-0321 or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.